0: Christian church, I dare say, has lost this teaching that God judges. Even, even, I hear Christians say this. It's amazing to me. They shouldn't say it. But I hear Christians say it. Christians will say sometimes, God doesn't judge. That's not right. That is not the Christian teaching. God absolutely judges. That is the heart of the Gospel. That's the heart of the Gospel. What is the heart of the Gospel? What do we say? We say that God took our injustices, He took our sins, and He placed them on the body of Jesus Christ. He was crucified for our sins. That's what we say. It's it's not God doesn't judge, it's that He judged Jesus in our place. That's what Christians believe. God judges. He absolutely judges. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Well, we're continuing a sermon series here in the book of Ecclesiastes and the preacher here, Solomon, has these words for us this morning strong medicine. He says, And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All of the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals, everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? This is God's Word. The preacher tells us that he saw something. He doesn't tell us what he saw, but we know that what he saw provoked him. I had the same thing happen to me recently. I saw something. It was a picture of a man in a courtroom. Before I read the article and the words around it, I was drawn just to see this man sitting there in a courtroom. We all kind of have images like that in our head. We've seen people in courtrooms before. Some people sit there nervous and timid. Other people sit there stone cold and unmoved. And still, other people sit there guilty as sin. But this man wasn't any of the above. The first thing I noticed about him was his body. He sat there relaxed, but not comfortable. His body was gentle in his chair. It's almost like he was sitting there plaintively. It was the posture of a man who was feeling defeat. I saw his eyes next. His eyes had this expression of confusion, of sadness, And of shock, all wrapped into one. Next, I saw his pointer finger, his index finger, pointing out like this. Later, I came to see that that was really the power of the picture, what drew me in In the first place, the photographer managed to catch the moment where the man had his index finger out in such a way that when you looked at the picture, it felt like the man was pointing at you. It was as if the man was saying, do you see what has happened to me? Then I read the article and my heart sunk even further in my chest. The article was about a man I knew. In fact, he was a man that I admired. He was a man that, he is a man rather, who protected 1,200 people in his own country during genocide. I had watched a movie about him when I was a little boy. The, boy, the man's name is Paul Resusa Begina. Hollywood made a picture about him. A few years ago, named Hotel Rwanda. Just a few days ago, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison for advocating against his president for the injustices he was committing against the people. He got 25 years. He's 67 now. I think he'll probably die in prison. Solomon said, I saw in the place of justice, in the place of judgment, there is wickedness. It's provoking when you see it. The wealthy woman who self-loves and gives so little of her wealth away, it's provoking. The man, you see him every so often in the world with that well-coiffed hair, that woman next to him. She's got a scarf around her neck. And if you look closely, just under the scarf, you'll see peeking out the dark purple of a bruise. It's provoking. But see, Solomon goes one step further James Bolhagen puts this so well what's so jarring about this he says in the very place where god and his people automatically expect to see justice precisely there there is something foreign something abhorrent to god it is it is going to the police and getting hurt it is going to church wanting to receive God's forgiveness and instead receiving a preaching of God's acceptance of sin. Everything is backwards. Everything is wrong. Everything is messed up. Here we are. We're in Ecclesiastes. And what we're doing is we are looking at God's wisdom that He gives us for life. What are we to do when we see injustice in this world and we are provoked? Solomon here gives us three things. He gives us two meditations for our hearts that are just for us to think about. And then he gives us something for our hands to do an action step. Two heart meditations for you, and one action step in your life. Here's the first heart meditation. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activities at a time to judge every deed. We're going to take this in two pieces. We have to take this in two pieces because one piece leads to the other piece. There's really a minor piece to this and then there's a major piece to this. And we have to start with the minor piece because it leads to the major piece. The first thing we have to notice is that Solomon talks to himself. He talks to himself. When you see injustice, the very first thing you have to do, see Solomon's modeling for us, is we need to talk to ourselves. ourselves We need to bring the truth to the moment we have to talk to ourselves that's really important one of these days I'm going to step aside and I'm going to preach a whole sermon about that I'm going to talk to you about how it's so important about what you talk to yourself about it is true in a certain sense that you are your own biggest influencer Now, that's just a little bit of an aside. What we have to notice is that before Solomon has done anything else, before the preachers have done anything else, he thinks about what he thinks about, he meditates on what he's meditating about, and what he does is he preaches to himself. If we don't, the provocation of injustice is so much that it will run loops in your mind. Stop. Do what the preacher did. Speak the truth about it. And here's the truth. The preacher said, I said to myself, God. Okay, I got to stop again. I said to myself, God, when you run into a cosmic problem, and this is a cosmic problem, when everything is the exact reverse of what it's supposed to be, when, when there's a man and what he does is he hurts a woman, and when you're in a court of justice and what you get is injustice, you get 25 years for the rest of your life, when everything's messed up, the only thing to do is look up. You made it. With God. Of course, sometimes we don't do that. See, there's three things that we can do. We can either push the injustice up or we can push it sideways and out or we can push it in. And people do the other two generally. They push it out. So they go on Twitter and they go on Facebook or they get together with their friends and they rage about it. And the fire spreads. People push it out. Or sometimes what we do is we push it in. You ever done that before? You litigate the injustice in your own heart. You know how it is. For a moment, you have this kind of sick fun with it. You play Judge Judy in your own heart. It's fun. Sickly. Because you get to play the judge, and you get to play the prosecuting attorney, and you get to play the jury too. (laughs) And every single time, it's amazing, you get a conviction. But here's the thing. It doesn't change anything. And instead what you do in your heart is you run the outrage over and over and over and over again, so you can push it sideways, or you can push it in words, or you can do what the preacher does. He pushes it up. I said to myself, "God. God will litigate it," he says. God will judge it. He says there's a a time and God is going to bring both the righteous and the unrighteous, the wicked, into judgment. He says God is going to litigate again. God is going to judge it. I think that is so important for us to take in this morning and I want to tell you two reasons why. One, we see more injustice today probably than any other time in human history. Now notice what I didn't say. I didn't say there's more injustice. I don't think there is. I think we know more about it. There's cell phones now with videos on them. <laughs> you plug it in the internet, you see it. It's probably not more injustice, we just see it more. Secondly, The Christian church, I dare say, has lost this teaching that God judges. Even, even I hear Christians say this, it's amazing to me. They shouldn't say it, but I hear Christians say it. Christians will say sometimes, God doesn't judge. That's not right. That is not the Christian teaching. God absolutely judges. That is the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel. What is the heart of the gospel? What do we say? We say that God took our injustices, He took our sins, and He placed them on the body of Jesus Christ. He was crucified for our sins. That's what we say. It's it's not God doesn't judge, it's that He judged Jesus in our place. That's what Christians believe. God judges. He absolutely judges. It's not, it's not just the heart of the gospel. It's, it's the heart of the Christian story. We say it every single Sunday here at Peace. What do we say? That Jesus was, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was, he was born of the Virgin Mary. On we go. And what's the, what do we say? What's the last great act of Christ? You know it. He will come again to do what? To judge the living and the dead. God judges. This is a relief to us to, watch, to us as much as we believe that Jesus was judged for us on the cross. And it's a comfort to us as much as we understand that God is committed to making his world right. And that's our first heart meditation. See, because when we understand that God is committed to making it right, that judgment is coming, then do you know what we can do? We can let it go. And we can let it go because we trust that God won't. So that's your first heart meditation. I said to myself God will judge. Well here's your second one. I said to myself as for humans God tests them "...so that they may see that they are like the animals." so once you've taken control of your own thoughts and you've told yourself the truth God will judge us I'm going to let God litigate the injustices of this world I don't have to do it the second meditation is God wants to take you even further he wants you to understand something about humanity the the writer says the preacher says that God does this to test us see God puts us in the fire like a piece of metal that's what testing is and he Purifies it so you see the world more clearly. God tests us. And what are we supposed to see through the testing? That human beings are like beasts. Whoa. We're like animals. This calls for a little bit of clarification. He didn't say we are animals. We should first of all notice that. It's not that we are animals. We're not a part of the animal kingdom. We're not a bundle of of just pure nerves and, and instincts. We're not animals. God originally made us to bear the image of God, and so we have human souls. We are not a part of the animal kingdoms. This is not zoology. Here's what it is. It's an indictment. Human beings are like animals. As much as we act on pure instinct and self-preservation so that other people are stabbed and hurt and killed and wronged, We're like animals. That's exactly when we are like cats. Sorry, cat lovers. I had to go there. Every cat I've ever met has treated me like I'm dirt. We can also be like pigs, roll in the mud, get what we want, or like a bull in a china shop, or like a honey badger, vicious, until we get what we want. Some of you might think this is a little bit harsh. Humans are like animals. I'm not so sure. Derek Kidner goes further. Derek Kidner says, no, humans are worse than animals. You've never met a cattle who robs or hurts or kills his fellow cattle. We're worse. We hurt our own kind. We're a special, special breed that way. You ever thought about this? Who or what is the most dangerous creature to a fellow human on earth? Another human. So God tests us so we'll see. We're like beasts. Now this is healing, actually, in two ways. I'll see if I can get you there. It's very healing to know this. One of the most common conversations I have, pastoral conversations, is this one. By the way, I love having these kind of conversations. I never get tired of them. I love helping people. Don't think that. I'm not trying to shut you down. I'm just saying, this is a typical conversation that I've had over the past few years. It goes like this. There's some issue Some person, some action, some perceived or real injustice that somebody's witnessed, and they're upset. And the person will come to me and we'll have this conversation, and the person will say something like this Pastor, how could they? Now, that's a dangerous place to be spiritually, which is why I love people helping people out of it. I'll tell you what's not a dangerous place to be. It's not a dangerous piece, place to be to mourn injustice. It's not, it's not a dangerous place to be to say, wow, that is really sad that that happened. That's not a dangerous place to be. That's where we're supposed to be. We need to be mourning the injustices of this world. It's a dangerous place to be. How could this ever happen? How could they ever do this? That's dangerous for two reasons. One, you're surprised. Two, you're prideful. and what the preacher does is he handles both things and heals us from it. So let me be blunt and show you how this works because the preacher was he was blunt. You know what I think? I think that Christians should be the least surprised people on earth by injustice. The least surprised people on earth. What is the honor of our belief? The heart of our belief is this, we are so bad, we are so bad that the only solution to us was God sending his own son to die for us. We were that bad. None of us should be surprised. We, shouldn't be, we should never be surprised. Should we be surprised that fish swim? Should we be shocked at this? Should we, should we be shocked that dolphins leap in the air? Should we be shocked that hyenas are hyenas or should we be shocked that sinners sin? Never. The gift here is deep spiritual steadiness. Christians never have to be shocked about what's happened. Oh, sinners sinned again. That's sad. But there's a second spiritual gift here that is even more profound. It takes down your pride. And it gives you salvation in its place. See, let me ask you something. When you finally throw your hands in the air about humanity, when you finally look around and you say, So this is the clay that we're made of. When you finally look and you see that it's been not just year after year, but but decade after decade and century after century and millennia after millennia of injustice, and it's still not stopping, it's still happening today. When you finally throw your hands up in the air and you finally get it, you say, oh, I see it. Humans have a sin nature, and I'm one of them. When you finally see it, then you can stop. You can stop believing that education is going to do it. My dog listens to me better than I listen to God sometimes. you can stop believing education is going to solve humanity's problems. You can stop believing that government is going to solve humanity's problems. The system corrupts, same as it does with a bunch of chimps. And you can start believing two things. One, we can't fix it. Two. God can and God has and God will. I want you to reflect on something with me. Have you ever deeply thought about the way that humans welcomed the Son of God to earth? We have this crush at our house. It's one of those willow tree sets. We keep it out year-round. And people say that's a beautiful set. I wonder to myself sometimes, if we see it, how did we welcome the Son of God to earth? stone-cold humans. His first bed was a place where the beasts would eat. If we want to be surprised or shocked about things in this world, shouldn't we be shocked at that? That God loved us even when we would treat Him like that? Well, how about this? How, what did, how, how did humanity try to force the Son of God's exit from the world? How did we do it? You know, you got to at least give the animals credit. When they kill, it's very pragmatic, right? You just get it done, it's over, I'm hungry. It's very pragmatic. What did we do to Jesus? It is humanity. That has discovered how to help people die slow, to torture them to death. And yet, God loved us. And yet, God loved us in that very act when we treated Him like beasts. He loved us. That's the second heart meditation. See, when we actually see what humanity is, it helps us see who God is. In Christ, we are loved that much. Now here's your action step. One action step. The preacher said this. I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. What are we supposed to do all by all this? What are we supposed to do when we look around and we see all these injustices? What are we supposed to do? What does the preacher suggest? He says, it's better. He says, it's better to enjoy your work and live your lot. Enjoy your work and live your lot. He says, it's better. Now, I think I should point out to you that he makes known that that's not the only option. He says it's better. He doesn't say it's best. And he doesn't say things are worst. He just says it's better. There's other options. I figure there are two. If you put them on a sliding scale, the preacher's option is in the middle. There's two other extreme options, and then there's lots of places along the spectrum. But there's at least two other options about what to do about this. There's what I call the save the world option, and then there's what I call the opt out of the world option. So let's take the save the world option first. You are opting for the save the world option when you think I got to be on the right bandwagon I got to be a part of the right movement. I got to hitch my wagon to the right personality, to the right person, to the right causes. Otherwise, the world is going to fall apart. I got to save the world. You know that you're kind of in this camp when you're saying to yourself, "I got I got to take a stand." And if I don't take a stand, who's going to take a stand? I got to take a stand. You are a part of the save the world movement. Of course, then there's how Solomon deals with that. It seems like he thinks that a lot of people are going to choose the save the world option. And so he says this He says, Who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Because you can try to save the world, but you don't know what, it's going to do. what good it's going to do. You're not sure. So that's the save the world option and there's the opt out of the world option. It can look like this. You go off the grid, you buy canned food, and you move to Wyoming. Okay, it's usually not that bad, usually it's like it's not going to matter anyway. I'm going to live my life. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to let the world pass me by. It's the opt out of the world option. And then there's the one right in the middle. Enjoy your work and live your lot. See, it's not quietism, it's not quietism. You do what you do. You do. It. You pray. You vote. You try. You serve. You do what God has put in front of you to do. It's not quietism. You are trying. But it's not that you try and do everything. It's not quietism. What it is is a quiet life. You do what God has put in front of you to do and you enjoy it. So you neither try to save the world, you leave that to God, nor do you deny the world exists, you do try to help. It's not that you do everything and it's not that you do nothing. It's you do What God has put in front of you to do. The preacher says that's the better option. Can you think of a better one? I can't. I don't want to live my life with the weight of the world on my shoulders. I want God to have it. God will litigate and God will judge. I don't want to live my life surprised and outraged. I want to repent. Humans are like beasts. People, though, who have been loved by Almighty God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and I don't want to try to do everything, and I also don't want to do nothing. I want to live my life for God. Now, the whole world's not going to know about that. But God will. And so will the people who you serve. And when we live that way, I think we're like God, the same God who when he made this world stopped and he enjoyed his work. So can we, because it was a good thing to do, and we did it, and we may not know how it ultimately matters. But God does. And for people who know God well, like we do, that really is enough. Let's pray. Judge and Lord, you created your world to be a place of perfect justice. Grant us the Spirit and the work to make this world right for those we see and may touch with our good work that we may live resurrected and just lives before you in your eternal day through jesus christ the one who justified us by his blood